This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Anthropology. My name is Czarna Berkovic, and today I will host this channel. My guest today is Martin Damant Frederiksen, who last year published a book called An Anthropology of Nothing in Particular. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Martin, I wonder if you, if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself. Yes, of course. Uh, well, I'm a uh, a social anthropologist, uh, originally from the University of Aarhus in Denmark. Um, currently, I'm at the Department of Social Anthropology in Oslo. Um, I have been uh, conducting fieldwork in the Republic of Georgia for the last uh, 15 years, I think, something like that. Um, originally mainly about uh, relations between time and materiality and um, experiences of boredom among uh, subcultures uh, in in urban settings and have uh, more recently uh, also begun conducting fieldwork in Bulgaria and Croatia on uh, somewhat similar themes um, and uh, thematically, uh, well, both in, in Georgia, Bulgaria and Croatia on questions of, uh, of nothingness and meaninglessness. And how did you come to write an anthropology of nothing in particular? What got you interested in thinking and writing about nothingness? Well, um, by, by, by coincidence, uh, in, in, in some sense, um, originally I was, uh, I was interested in, uh, in doing research on, uh, on atheism. Uh, and I had begun both doing, uh, or conducting some pilot interviews with, uh, uh, with, uh, people I knew in Georgia and had begun reading about the theme um, and, and one of the things that came up um, in, in the interviews was that when people were talking about atheism, they were not talking about atheism as such. I mean, they were not talking about, um, about disbelief only or disbelief in a religious sense, but uh, more about uh, general uh, senses of, of disengagement or I mean, things that were verging on uh, on nihilism much more than than on atheism, so I began kind of looking around for uh, for other anthropological studies about nihilism and about uh, about questions of of nothingness and and was kind of surprised that there was uh, that there was so little of it um, 
compared to how much had been written about it uh, in 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 related or in in, in other disciplines. I mean, in philosophy mainly, um, but all, also in I mean in, in novels and literature, in in films, in in plays. Uh, in I mean, completely different uh, disciplines such as astro, uh, astrophysics, I mean, a, a lot of places where nothingness had actually been um, had been described from a range of perspectives and, and, and quite thoroughly, um, but there wasn't really there wasn't really any anthropology of nothingness. Um, so I I became interested in in it originally. Uh, just in the sense of thinking what an anthropology of nothing would look like. And do you understand nothing as absolute lack of meaning, meaninglessness, or do you approach nothing as an absence of narrative meaning or a linear story? So in other words, could you maybe explain to our readers, um, could nothing, from your perspective, still contain fragments of meaning, although they may be randomly dispersed and not uh, connected with one another in a, in a meaningful way, so to say? Um, well, I, I would say that it, it definitely contains fragments of uh, of meaning, um, and and I think particularly from the vantage point that uh, that that I have been writing from, which is uh, um, which is largely Sartre's um, discussions about uh, about nothingness um, and his position that you cannot you cannot talk about complete nothingness or a complete nothing. Um, but at the same time, uh, you, you also can't talk about uh, a complete something, because the two uh, the two always stand in a relation to each other. They cannot exist without each other. So we can talk about nothingness, which is uh, is kind of a something that is almost nothing, but as you say, still contains fragments of of meaning. Um, but we should, in principle, also talk about somethingness, because in every kind of something, there will always be a fragment of something meaningless uh, or a fragment of um, uh, of a kind of nothingness. So you cannot have one without the other. Um, and I think one of my vantage points was um, to say that particularly in anthropology, it's, it's by and large been... Uh, the something side of that relation that has been explored. And what I was interested in was to look into the nothing side of it, uh, which is uh, which is not to look at something that lacks any kind of meaning, or as you say, an, an absolute meaninglessness, but something that is um, that is too random in a way to be called something. The title of the book is an anthropology of nothing in particular. So would you say this nothing in particular is just another term for waiting or for boredom? So throughout the book, you clearly demonstrate this much more, or if it's nothing, maybe much less than mm. that. But could you perhaps explain the relationship between these concepts for, for our listeners? Well, they, they, definitely, they definitely have a relation. And I think another kind of entry point I had into... Um, into nothingness was actually boredom because that was uh, a theme that I'd been working on before. Um, but I had met people who who kind of questioned the way that I have been <laughs> had been describing boredom, um, in the sense that I had been describing it mainly as uh, as a negative or as an, uh, a negative experience. 
uh, which which boredom largely is seen as, and and waiting is also largely seen as as being something that's profoundly negative and something that we uh, do our best to uh, to avoid. Um, but I think in um, in the research that came out of this project, I mean, boredom in a sense was still there, but it was there as um, as an acceptance of boredom or as an acceptance that life is not necessarily interesting, but there's also not necessarily anything you can do about that. It's just a, it's kind of an inherent fact of life. Um, but also that waiting can have... Um, uh, it, it can have different kinds of forms. So there can be a, a, a telos of, of waiting that is different from the way we usually see it because we usually conceive of waiting as waiting for something uh, and not as uh, a question of, uh, of waiting for nothing or being in a situation where something else ideally should happen, but you kind of know that it won't. Uh, which is a kind of waiting, but I would say it's it's a it's a particular kind of waiting. So it's kind of a Samuel Beckett waiting for Godot waiting, where you're waiting for something that you that will never show up. Um, but I think in in the sense that it, or in the way that it appears in the book, um, it it it's 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 like this that you're that you're waiting for nothing, that you're waiting for a difference that will never come around. A difference that would never come around. It's a very nice way to describe nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, since anthropology is inherently a comparative exercise, how does nothing in one place uh, differ from nothing in another place? On pages 6 and 61, you write that, and this is a quote, nothing and meaninglessness exist in many different places and contexts, but these are not the same kinds of nothing. So what different ideas of nothingness did you come across in your work and where do their specificities and differences come from? Well, I think one of the, the uh, one of the tricky things about nothing is is actually situating it. Um, uh, and 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 I've I think throughout the book tried in one way to do it and in in, in another way not to do it <laughs> in order to kind of have exactly a particular kind of nothing uh, uh, stand stand forth. Um, uh, while still somehow trying to create a general sense of nothingness. Um, and there was, I mean, there was one book that, uh, I mean, that, that, that in a, I think in, in inspired a lot of the writing or a lot of, uh, this, this thinking about nothing, um, which is, uh, Tom Lutz's book, Doing Nothing. Um, and, in this, he actually tries to, on the one hand, also carve out nothing, but say that it we we have to uh, acknowledge that there are different varieties of it. Um, and his vantage point is uh, saying that in his own youth, in the in the fifties and sixties, um, his parents' generation were always complaining that his friend and him were doing nothing. They were doing nothing with their lives. Um, because they were reading beat literature and they were uh, jumping on trains like uh, Jack Kerouac and kind of distancing themselves from society. Um, and then he found later on when he himself had uh, had children that he had a teenage son 
who also engaged in doing nothing, but did it in a profoundly different way, which was lying on the couch, um, which got him interested in saying, well, how does the figure of nothingness in the sense of doing nothingness actually, uh, how is it performed or how does it differ across generations? So he, he basically wrote a historical account of, uh, of different types of figures in the U.S., um, that have been related to the question of, of doing nothing. So, I mean, so you can, you can actually pinpoint <laughs> nothingness in specific sites, I would say. And I think a reason for that is exactly its relation to something. I mean, the fact that, that particular kinds of nothingness are related to different kinds of somethingness. So when something is different, then nothing will inherently also be slightly different. Um, which I also think it is in the context uh, uh, that I describe. Um, and I don't, I don't go into it much. I think I, I mentioned it on, on these pages and, and kind of give a few glimpses of other kinds of nothingness, uh, which has mainly been the kinds of nothingness that people have uh, um, suggested to me or, or reminded me of when I've been talking about the project, I mean, to friends or, or to colleagues. And there are kind of there are two examples that have almost always been mentioned, which is, I mean, one being Seinfeld, and the other being the Big Lebowski. So people have always asked, I mean, how does it relate to to these two kinds of nothingness? So I mean, a show about nothing, which Seinfeld um, uh, said itself to be, and and the nihilists of of the Big Lebowski. And the thing is that it, it, it is, in, the one, in, in one sense, of course, there are similarities, but they are also profoundly different kinds of nothing um, because they're related to completely different contexts. So, I mean, first of all, they're fictional. That's one, <laughs> that's, that's one aspect. I mean, if you take uh, um, a group of singles uh, living in New York in the 1990s, I mean, what they relate to, uh, relate to or what the nothingness that transpires in that context is related to is uh, is different from from what I'm describing. Um, so uh, so I mean I'm I'm deliberately not trying to be too specific about the context I describe because I wanted to try to uh, in a sense present a sensation of a particular kind of nothingness. That um, that readers can can relate to or not. And how useful did you find the standard anthropological vocabulary for your exploration of nothingness? So anthropology is usually concerned with translating meaning from there to our point of view, whoever they and us may be, so to say. Um, and how how did you engage in this task of translation from uh, nothing to nothing, both when doing research and when writing? I think when when doing research, um, a lot of it came around as as a dialogue uh, between uh, uh, between my my interlocutors and myself, um, because um, because of in a sense of my own relation to nothingness um, and my own perception of of what nothingness might be, uh, or my own uh, <laughs> compulsion to, to make sense of things, which is in a way what I was uh, brought up to do academically, because I mean, that, that's what um, anthropology is, is largely about. I mean, we try to make sense of things. Um, so, I mean, a, a lot of it, um, 
I mean, took its vantage point in in my own inability uh, to kind of comprehend what this was, and, uh, and 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 something that actually led to to discussions about nothingness um, uh, in I mean during during research. Um, not that we I mean tried to convince each other of of. <laughs> Of, of what meaning was or what it uh, might be or why it might be be lacking. Um, but I think in the book there are a lot of my own hesitations are definitely present um, as, uh, as a very distinct me and my own uh, uh, udenophobia or my own fear of nothing um, in terms of, of, uh, of thinking about these themes that were, uh, that were severely challenged uh, during research. Um, so, I mean, I mean, but that part was in a sense, it was relatively easy because I mean, it, it, it became a dialogue, uh, about the theme. Um, I think it became much more dif- difficult, uh, when I actually had to write about it because there isn't really, um, there isn't really a vocabulary of nothingness in anthropology. I mean, there are related themes that you can kind of pick up on. I mean, doubt or invisibility or uh, dissolution or absence, but there isn't really um, a distinct language to talk about nothing. Um, so I think um, uh, the places where I drew my inspiration or, or where I kind of had my uh, uh, academic uh, debates <laughs> were with, uh, with text and authors outside of anthropology. Um, in philosophy mainly, uh, but also in uh, film theory uh, and in uh, uh, absurdist theatre. Yes, and as I was reading the book, actually, I had all these associations to queer theory, um, as I mentioned to you mm-hmm. earlier. So first, the way your interlocutors interact with one another and with you reminded me a lot of the so-called, so-called queer sociality. Mm-hmm. One of your key informants, Oz, um, who is quite a character, behaves similarly to what Elizabeth Povinelli describes as stranger sociality. So he navigates social relations and estrangement in a very particular way, which goes against the usual uh, reciprocity, give and take of friendship or or romance. And and second, the relationship of your um, interlocutors towards time seems to be profoundly queer. And by this, I mean unconcerned with productivity, future, success, happiness, life stages, and, and it reminded me um, of an embrace among various queer communities of that which in the middle-class heterosexual world would be called failure or emptiness or meaninglessness. Um, there are references to queer motifs throughout the book, but there is little explicit use of queer theory. Although you, you as you mentioned, draw theoretical inspiration from various disciplines and, and modes of writing and various sources. So do you see any intersections or, or overlaps between uh, an anthropology of nothing in particular and queer theory and if yes where where are these intersections well i think there there definitely is an overlap i mean i i'm not sure i would call the book in itself queer theory but mainly because it doesn't really it it, it doesn't deserve it um in the sense that as you say i mean i engage kind of superficially with themes that are, uh, are definitely prominent in, in queer theory um, without necessarily unfolding them very much. But I think 
if if you were to put a um, uh, a theoretical perspective uh, on the book, uh, queer theory would be uh, a, a really good place to start. I mean, you could say, in a sense, existentialism is is my vantage point, but. Um, but queer theory, in a sense, might actually have worked just as well, if if not better. Um, and I think, I mean, one of the people that I uh, uh, draw on is is Sarah Ahmed and and her writings on um, on relations and particularly on on linearity, uh, which which is really a, a, a theme that runs throughout the book. Um, uh, in 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 terms of 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 looking at what happens, in a sense, besides the linear, um, or, or uh, what happens in situations that are not um, that are not straightforward, or where linearity is broken, um, and I think um, again, if if we take this uh, nothingness somethingness relation, I mean. Linearity in this context is 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 part and parcel of the context or the something that a lot of this uh, is uh, is related to or or stands in in opposition to, um, and there are things that uh, um, that in a sense I would have liked to include more of um, in terms of, of of depicting that or. Or depicting uh, uh, the context, or um, I don't know how can, you can put it, but the uh, uh, the atmosphere of, of of what was taking place. Um, one of it is, is is something as simple as uh, um, as music, for instance. I mean, you you could uh, in a sense you could very easily create a soundtrack that would fit. <laughs> That would fit this book in terms of the music that was continuously uh, uh, listened to um, by these groups, uh, which is definitely also in in what you could call, I mean, the, the queer category. I mean, everything from from Pet Shop Boys to uh, to post punk or any kind of music that kind of seeks to break uh, uh, with the ordinary or ideas of. Uh, of of normality, um, the, the very concrete reason why I didn't go into that was simply copyright issues. I mean, I wasn't allowed to use the lyrics <laughs> that I that I wanted to in the book. Um, so, I mean, if 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 I ever get uh, permission to do that, there might be there might be a sequel. Um, mm-hmm. um, but no, I think there is uh, there is a series of. Uh, of overlaps, as you mentioned, in in, in relation to um, uh, to ideas of linearity and to um, of being, as you say, unconcerned with uh, with the future or kind of embracing your own disengagement um, or your own seclusion from something that uh, is seen by others as being uh, normal or being linear. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. 
That's shopify.com slash system. Um, and one thing that our listeners should know is that the city and the country where the book takes place are, are uh, not named um, in the book. So uh, we don't know where, where uh, your fieldwork took place and, and so on. So why did you decide not to name the city and the country uh, and to strip your story of most social markers, especially if there are different kinds of nothingness in different places. So I really like the narrative effect of this decision. Um, but you, could you maybe reflect upon how you made this decision and what was gained by it and what was perhaps lost uh, by it? Well, it wasn't... I mean, first of all, it's, it's not that it's a, it's a secret where, it, uh, where all of this uh, uh, took place. Um, but the, the specific reason for... Uh, in a sense, deleting the context uh, or, or re- deleting the, the city and, and the country was uh, that, that during writing, I, I, I kind of felt that I needed to find a style that represented the content. Um, so I started looking through the draft of the manuscript to kind of find uh, cues uh, or ideas uh, to in terms of, of, of what I could uh, uh, do to pursue that. Uh, and one very simple thing was that uh, it was mentioned at one point uh, very randomly um, uh, by one of, of uh, the people there that geography is pointless. I mean, there's, there's no point to geography. So, I mean, the, the original idea to delete the city was, was simply to say, okay, but if I took that, seriously uh what would it do to the manuscript um so i i I basically went into the draft and started uh, deleting the names of uh, all place names um to see what uh, what effect it would have um and and one other reason for doing it was that the original uh, the original draft uh was uh was written as, um, I guess you could say, kind of a standard monograph um, with an introduction, uh, a chapter about the context, and then distinct chapters on specific themes. Um, but when I, had, when I had almost finished that, it, it, it felt like I was kind of betraying the content of, of the book because I was trying to order it. I was trying to make sense of things and place things into categories that, so to speak, the, the field had, had tried to, uh, to dissolve. Um, so I started, in a way, breaking the narrative of, uh, uh, of that first draft uh, and, and uh, to, um, uh, to kind of follow, I mean, the Tarkovsky principles of film editing by, uh, by erasing uh, chronology in it, by erasing context. Um, by putting in pieces of, of fiction or pieces of text that really doesn't fit with the rest of the book uh, in order to break any sense of uh, linearity in, uh, um, uh, in the manuscript uh, overall. Um, so, I mean, so, so one part was uh, to, uh, to kind of stick to this claim that geography is pointless, and, and another part was... Uh, in a sense, a stylistic choice, and I think what it does is that it, um, in my opinion, at least, I think nothingness actually stands forth as 
I don't know if you can say clearer, but but as uh, the, the, uh, the sense of it, I think, uh, becomes stronger. Um, I mean, the, the down point or the downturn is that you can't really relate it to anything, uh, anything specifically. Um, now, the previous book I wrote with uh, 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 Katrina Gottfriesen about the, the roast revolution in, in the Republic of Georgia, where this takes place, I mean, it's, it, that's, not, that's not a secret, in a sense ends where this book begins. I mean, it ends with sensations of, or return sensations of dissolution and sensations of nothingness. And I think it was also because I felt that the, that book actually serves as, uh, as the context for this book. Um, so I mean, you you can read them in tandem if you kind of want the the more regional uh, perspective on it. Well, as I was reading the book, I assumed it took place in a in an Eastern European country, and I think that you you describe this as a compulsion to to find meaning. And I was looking for like cues of where this could be located and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and since you keep the country and the city anonymous in the book, and since it is mostly a theoretical treatise on how we can anthropologically approach nothingness. I couldn't help but wonder, um, is it possible to make a universal argument that would be ethnographically situated in Eastern Europe? So I'm thinking here about the specific position of Eastern European anthropological knowledge production as neither Western modern nor colonial or or post-colonial other. So would the placing the story about nothingness into into particular Eastern European context, social context, somehow make your argument too regionally specific and therefore difficult to to link to other places and other forms of nothingness. What what do you think? Well, I think it's it 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 could it, it could definitely um, <clears throat> it could definitely be done. And I think if you if you read the book, um, having uh, some knowledge about Eastern Europe, I think it is. Um, it is, as you say, recognizable. I mean, I'd also be interested in hearing what you recognize <laughs> in, as Eastern European in it. Um, but I think it, the, there are things that transpire that you can read if, you've, uh, if you live in this region or if you've conducted research or, or visited the region. Um, and I think, uh, I think you're, uh, in a sense, spot on in terms of saying that there are, there are things... Um, that are specific to uh, to to Eastern Europe uh, in terms of 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 kind of being neither or, um, which is what I've been interested in in relation to uh, to the research I've been been doing in in Bulgaria and Croatia or that I'm that I'm conducting now um, is to say what what is this. Kind of either or aspect of uh, of this particular uh, particular region, um, which is um, it, it has a sense of almost about it um, that it's it's almost a colonial other, but not quite, and it's almost Western modern, but not quite, uh, but it's still there. So again, it, it's not that it's nothing, but it's also not a particular. Kind of something, or it's difficult to pinpoint uh, what kind of something uh, this is. And I don't have—I mean, I, I don't have any <laughs> any conclusions uh, on that uh, now. But I think, um, I mean, uh, the book could easily have been written 
uh, uh, as an ethnography that was very firmly situated in in Eastern Europe. Uh, and in relation to, I mean, a lot of writings that uh, that explore similar themes um, that have been uh, uh, that have been prominent in uh, in post-Soviet and and post-socialist studies. I mean, primarily in terms of uh, something like dissolution. Um, but as you say, it's it's. I mean, I think the, the aim for me here was to um, uh, to not say uh, to say that the book is not about anything. You know, it's it's about a, a particular kind of sensation. So it's not it's not about Georgia and it's not about Eastern Europe, uh, even though you could uh, you could read it as such um, if you uh, if you'd want to. Um, but I mean, one of the things I'm experimenting with now is to say that if you take some of the same principles um, that uh, that are used in writing this book, like um, essentially deleting the context or deleting place names, I mean, would it be possible to write something that actually compares uh, different places in uh, uh, in Eastern Europe? Uh, or that compares the material uh, that I have from uh, from Georgia, Bulgaria, uh, and Croatia, and, and also from Albania, in order to see what kind of nothingness would transpire from that, um, which I'm sure would be uh, would be something would be something different. Um, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I'm say, I, I haven't decided whether that's the right way to compare it. I think. Um, uh, doing a, uh, a cross-cultural comparison of nothingness uh, would be really interesting. I mean, so I mean, if, if anyone's interested in, in doing that with me, they should just uh, please call <laughs> um, because I don't have the material to. I mean, to to do it. Um, but I mean, I, I, I'd be interested to know what was recognizable as uh, as Eastern European to you when you read the book. That is a good question. I guess because I knew about your earlier research in Georgia and current research in Croatia and Bulgaria. Yeah, <laughs> I I do want I do want to mention it. Um, I think it's your decision to rewrite the first draft, which was as you mentioned, academic with introduction and, and the clear setting and so on. To, to rewrite it into into the current version, the published version of the book, is in my view uh, a very good one because it's a very original piece of writing, which was a lot of fun to read, so I warmly recommend it to, to our listeners. Um, I think it will have taken up a lot of your time, and in the last few minutes, I I would like to ask you if you could tell us what you're working on now a bit more. So you mentioned you're, you're doing research in Bulgaria and Croatia. Um, what it is about and how how this how is this new research going? Uh, well, it's, it, it is, in a sense, a continuation of... Uh, of of this uh, this interest in in nothingness, um, but in uh, but but there's more there's more something <laughs> in in what I'm doing now. But I, uh, I think I, I briefly mentioned what I'm what I'm interested in is things that are uh, I guess you could say almost but not quite uh, and um, and uh, the notion of un. 
I mean, things that are on something. Uh, so things that verge upon almost being without uh, uh, quite ever making it there. Um, and, and more specifically, what I'm working with is not, uh, it, it, it's not, you could say it's not a, a, a particular group or it's not social relations in, uh, in the same way as it is in, in, in the Nothing book. Um, but relates more to uh, to the built environment uh, and to uh, particular forms of architecture um, in in Georgia, Bulgaria, and and Croatia that kind of verge upon being something that they're not quite. Uh, so uh, so ruins that are not quite ruins or. Uh, uh, buildings that are historical but not quite heritage. Um, so you could say material structures that, in the, in a way, occupied and occupy an uneasy position between nothingness and somethingness. Um, I think I, I think that's as clear as I can make it uh, <laughs> for now. The book was published last summer, if I'm correct, and I was wondering how if you can maybe share with us a little bit of how different people responded to it. Well, they they. They've been responding, uh, been responding decidedly differently, and I think that actually speaks to uh, to some of the things that we've uh, that we've been discussing, both in terms of uh, the uh, the style of the book and these different uh, different kinds of nothing. Um, because when uh, when people I I know uh, from Georgia have either read the book or when uh, when I've been um, kind of broadly discussing the themes of the book, um, I think the things that I have written about um, are extremely recognizable to them. So they related very specifically to uh, to a societal situation. Uh, and I mean, th- there was one old friend who said that it's uh, in in some sense it, it's it's very much a Georgia book because Georgians are obsessed with nothingness. They're obsessed with nothing. We talk about it all the time. Um, and I mean, and uh, it's been very different when uh, people I know in uh, in Norway or Denmark have have read the book because they've they've kind of picked out themes of the book that they can relate to uh, to aspects of their own life. So some have related it to questions of. Uh, uh, of of work life balance that you have to uh, that you we need to embrace nothingness more we need to be more positive about uh, about doing nothing or accepting uh, that things might be meaningless uh, and a lot have uh, have related it to um, uh, to questions of uh, of Buddhism and meditation I mean the the village where I lived in in Denmark had. Uh, uh, there was an abundance of yoga instructors and and mindfulness teachers, um, and they saw kind of a, a very direct link between the sensation of the book and questions of Taoism, for instance, which is something that I never heard mentioned uh, uh, by people I know in in Georgia. And I think the benefit of the book uh, having been written in a sense without the context is that it becomes perhaps more easy for people to relate to some aspect of it 
uh, or some aspects of it, or to think uh, about some aspects of it. And and that's uh, also, in a sense, been one of the goals of the book, not to give any answers about nothingness, but to give and or provide an invitation to uh, to consider it in, in, in new or in different ways. Um, and were there perhaps any voices that were critical of the lack of productivity of your interlocutors? Well, there definitely, there definitely has been, um, and I think in 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 a Scandinavian context, if we can call it that. I mean, the the question of doing nothing um, is uh, is is very easily read as uh, as a negative, as something that's that's unproductive because it's not. It, it, you have to be uh, participate in in civil society, and nothing will come out of 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 disengaging disengaging from it, which is paradoxical because it it this runs parallel to people actually wanting <laughs> to do nothing more, uh, who 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 uh, work a lot uh, in order to do uh, to do nothing uh, during their holiday. Um, but there is this idea that uh, doing something and doing nothing should be kept separate. Um, and shouldn't be kind of mixed together in the way that it is in the book. Um, and then there are, I mean, and then there are people who are really annoyed by the way it's written. I mean, by this uh, kind of broken narrative style. Uh, so I've, I've certainly had complaints about that. 